0: late 80s, the team at DMA Design was looking to design a new game using the giant robot walkers from their earlier game Blood Money. As they started the design, they needed to make little men for the walkers to interact with. So one designer makes a basic model. Another team member says he can do it better. He starts animating little men and all these weird ways that they can die. Crushed by a giant weight, flung across the screen, swallowed up by a floating mouth. It was just bizarre. Soon other team members join in and the team has an absolute ball making animations of tiny men and all the weird ways in which they could die. Once they were done and they finally stepped back from it one of them declared hey I think we have a game here. Yes they did. A few years later they finished that game and on Valentine's Day 1991 they released Lemmings to the world. Today, we're going to tell you the entire story of the video game Lemmings and its publisher Psygnosis. So stick around, follow the leader, and join us for today's trip down memory card lane. good morning good afternoon and good evening i hope these words find you well hello and welcome to the 129th episode of our video game history podcast a trip down memory card lane each week we'll tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week gaming history It can be about a game a console a person a technology and so on and so forth while doing so we hope to teach you something new about the topic what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, we're all going to learn about Lemmings, originally released for the Amiga on February 14th, 1991. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who would jump off a cliff if his friends didn't. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, have you ever actually jumped off a bridge before?
1: Not yet, no? but there's still time
0: there's there's still time they just gotta ask right
1: yeah absolutely i mean hey one of them asks hey you want to go jump off a bridge i'm gonna say tell me when why not might might poop myself but hey that'll be fun on the way down
0: definitely clench on the way down oh yeah or you know definitely clench or don't clench i don't remember which but the water definitely goes places it's not supposed to i've heard yeah i don't know (laughs) (laughs) so what are we playing
1: well, Dave, this week has been another light one, so it's just Rocket League and RuneScape for me. How about yourself?
0: I think Rocket League, Malvor. You played Malvor, too. Well,
1: yeah, okay, and Malvor.
0: And um, I don't know if I played anything out. I, I, maybe, I think I played some Destiny with, with our, our friend. I think we did some Crucible this week to torture yeah
1: you guys were talking about it when i was playing rock league so i
0: hate crucible but i have i have a quest that you have to do in crucible and no one else i know plays crucible so he sucked it up and played with me fair Um, enough but that's about it so lemmings yes we i've asked before does it still stand that you really don't know anything about this game
1: I, again I've seen some video at this point and that's the extent of it I don't know you know you you, you try to save some lemmings that's that's it that's all I know they want to die
0: that's true that's, that's, they want that's all I know
1: so that, there's going to be a lot for me to learn honestly I'm still c- confused what the hell an Amiga is I know we've talked about it before a few times but it's still just one of those things that because it, I've never seen one it's kind of escaping my uh, my knowledge. So, you know, learn about I mean, the Amiga a little and learn about Lemmings proper.
0: I mean, I ain't going to teach you much about the Amiga. It's a computer. The Amiga was just a...
1: Well, learning more about the software that was available for the Amiga, because again, without having known the Amiga existed, I can't know a damn thing about none of the softwares.
0: So the Amigas were made by Commodore, you you know the Commodore sixty four yes, but as they went on, Commodore made other computer lines, and their computer line after the sixty four was the Amiga series. You know they made an Amiga a thousand, well five hundred, one thousand. I think there was Wait, a, so there were
1: more than one.
0: Yeah, there was a three thousand, a four thousand. They were just a series of computers. So nowadays we really only have two pc bases right you either are a windows pc okay three windows (laughs) linux or mac those are your your formats right yep so basically back then you could have like the amiga or you could have what what's the other ones um atari st those were your big ones in the uk you had the sinclair the zx line and they didn't they didn't speak the same language like you know, all the brands of computers down do that are on Windows nowadays. You had to actually like nothing played among like they didn't they didn't play nice with one another. So there literally had to be an Atari version and an Amiga version and a Sinclair version, you know, and so on and so forth. So the Amiga is just one type of personal computer and then yes, as time went on and the technology progressed, they kept making newer versions that had better you know faster I'm, I'm guessing faster processors better graphics um and so on and so forth it's hard to think about in today's day and age but i mean when computers were really early on like the technology was moving fast and we really didn't build computers the way we do now like you just you bought it as is you know so
1: fair enough i yeah. I, I honestly I'd heard we talked a lot about the Amiga, but I didn't realize that it was a series of computers. I thought it was just you know one one done. Nope. It's kind of interesting. Nope. There's a whole series of them.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at it now. and hundred, twelve hundred, three thousand, and four thousand models.
1: God damn!
0: So the whole line sold about four point eight five million units.
1: I'm just shocked that I've never come across one before.
0: Yeah, it went, well, I mean. So, they started in 1985, and that's about when the NES came out. So, on the gaming standpoint, you know, PC gaming really lost a lot of ground to the consoles. And then um, IBM computers, which obviously we know went out. uh, Well, I don't know if you know that, but IBM PC compatible is kind of the basis for everything nowadays. They came out in 87? So once IBM PCs came out and everyone started using that format, uh, that was it. A lot of your, a lot of your other ones like the Amiga line, they fell to the wayside. Actually, the last Amiga was made. Oh, I take that ninety six. It says here, but um, Commodore, Commodore. Hold on, let me look. Commodore went bankrupt in ninety four. So it's kind of like they were just on the way down, you know.
1: Fair enough. Yep. yep well. Yep. That's a brief history of the Amiga, but I guess now it's time to get into our topic of the day. So, let's learn about Lemmings.
0: Lemmings. Lemmings, Lemmings, Lemmings. So, you know, back um, in episode 112, we learned all about the history of Grand Theft Auto, which was developed by a company called DMA Design. Now, DMA Design is now known as Rockstar North, but in 1987, it was really just a bunch of programming hobbyists That all met at an amateur computer club in Scotland. They developed a number of games for the Amiga. uh, Games like Draconia and Blood Money. And each game was successful enough to let the studio basically make the next game. You know, that that was the goal of all studios back then. Can we make enough money to move on to the next project? A lot of them lived essentially game to game or paycheck to paycheck. But... DMA Design's really major breakthrough, like their first big successful hit, came with the development of Lemmings, which is the game that we're covering today. But I'm not going to tell you the story of DMA Design. If you want to learn all about that, we covered that already, go back to our website www.memorycardlane.com, check out episode 112, and, and learn all about All about that company. Learn all about DMA Design as it pushed through Grand Theft Auto. It's a really fascinating story. The truth is, though, is that DMA Design wasn't the only company that became a household name with the release of Lemmings. And that story begins in 1980, when two Oxford chemistry graduates, Tony Baden and Tony Milner, paid a video game programmer named Don Priestley 75 pounds for his first game, The Damsel and the beast which they eventually published for the Sinclair ZX81 in 1981. Now they started publishing this title and others under the name Bug Bite Software, which is just became known as Bugbite. Um Priestley ended up publishing two developing two more games for Bug Bite, Dictator and Mazogs, uh, before he was offered the position of director at another publisher. Uh, which he accepted and 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 moved on from. In 1982, Bug Bite actually published the first commercially produced games for a couple of other computers, the BBC Micro and the ZX Spectrum. Now, these games were called Space Warp and Spectral Invaders. Both of those games were developed by a, by a programmer called David Lawson. Now... David Lawson's games, these two, ended up being fairly successful. Um, Spectral Invaders actually came out in the middle of the year, but for the very first time in December, uh, there was a video game chart. Actually, the f- first United Kingdom video games chart was published by Popular Computer Weekly in December of 1982, and Spectral Invaders was actually the number one game on the video game chart for the first you know, video game chart ever. His next game, David Lawson's next game after Spectro Invaders, was a game called Specters, which was um, successful as well. And Lawson ended up using the profits from these games, from Specters more specifically, to set up his own software company called Imagine Software. Uh, He took with him another Bug Bite employee, whose name is Mark Butler. And joining them was a guy named Eugene Evans. Now, Butler and Evans had worked together at one of the very first computer stores in the UK called Micro Digital. So they were this little tight network of people who all kind of knew uh, one another. And they came together to form this company, Imagine Software. Now, Imagine Software published... several really very successful games after it was founded in September of 1982 uh some of these games I mean honestly I didn't know most of them um but they include Arcadia, Wacky Waiters, Frantic, Odd Diddums which cracks me up interesting Stonkers and The Alchemist I I don't know I I really don't know uh, I mean, there are Wikipedia entries on most of them if you're curious, but they're not really relevant to today's story, so I, I just kind of pushed through it. You know, these are games that are... pretty much have been gotten by Modern Gaming, let's be honest. Unless you played them back then, you probably don't know... odd-didums. <laughs> but many of them were among the best-selling titles for the ZX Spectrum in the year in which they were published. Now, throughout... 1982 and 1983 imagine software grew super fast uh they employed somewhere over 80 people at one point which for a, a software company in ni- the early 1980s was just massive they were throwing money away left and right at one point rob they even spent money to form a racing team that raced in the isle of Man tt race is it is it the isle of mon or is it Man? Uh, I think Mon, but I I don't know. Whichever, y'all people who know know; those of us who don't don't. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But in December of 1983, there was an air of trouble about the studio when it was revealed that they hadn't paid about fifty thousand pounds in advertising bills. Now, let me remind you, this is about a year later, right? Because they founded themselves in September of 1982. In 1984, wow. yeah, I know, right? Already a year in, uh, they're they're in debt. To, you know, we 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 can't we aren't paying fifty thousand pounds in, in bills. So 1984, the debts were mounting, and Imagine was not able to pay its advertisers. It also wasn't to pay. It wasn't able to pay the company that was duplicating its tapes. The the BBC micro and the Spectrum were cassette tape based, so. Essentially, they couldn't pay the people to make copies of their games to sell, and they couldn't market the games to sell. So in order to just break even, the rights to its game catalog was sold to a company called Bojolly, And Bojolly was an European company that simply licensed third-party games and then resold them in, like, value gaming compilations. You know the ones, Rob, like, you know, five games on one disc type deal. Ah,
1: yep. I know exactly what you're talking about.
0: You know, the bin bin games. So bargain
1: games. The
0: bargain bin. Yes, indeed. But even this wasn't enough. In June of 1984, they were sued for the money they owed for advertising in Personal Computer Games magazine, and it was determined that the company simply couldn't pay the debts they were owed. And so on July 9th, 1984, about one year and ten months after founding, they were declared bankrupt. Oh, and and during this whole mess, um, they became a household, like a national household name in Britain, because a BBC documentary crew for a show called Commercial Breaks came to interview them and film them around just as it all was crashing down. So
1: specifically um, because it was all crashing down, or nope, nope.
0: Oh. they were they were a high profile software company. And the intention was to do a profile on them. And just coincidentally, they got in there at the right time. And I'm sure it became a story about that. But it did not start out as that. So, whoops. Whoopsie. Good
1: timing for them, though. You know, got a little bit of drama to spice up their documentary.
0: Well, you know, because of the documentary, Imagine and some of the games... That Imagine did, they really gained some notoriety, and not just the games that they did, but the games that they were going to do, and 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 that's where we're going to go here. So Imagine's legacy would live on um, at some point during all of this, uh, and they were interviewed about it during the documentary. Imagine had declared their intention to develop six so-called mega games. Now, these games were designed to push the boundaries of the ZX Spectrum, so much so that they considered publishing the games with a hardware add-on that would increase the capabilities of the computer. And they even teased their existence in one of the magazine ads that they likely never paid for. (laughs) Now, these titles and the best known of the mega games, uh, the, the two that they advertised, were known as Cyclops and Bandersnatch.
1: Vander isn't that yeah. that uh, that new Black Mirror movie? One hundred percent, one hundred percent, crazy. So when Imagine Software
0: went bankrupt, uh, Dave Lawson, Mark Butler, and another director at Imagine Software, Ethan heatherington they created a new company called Finch Speed, and they attempted to buy the assets of their former company. Now they were not successful the rights to all of the games in the Imagine Software um, catalog were auctioned off to, you know, they were all piecemealed out to cover the debts of the company. So in October of 1984, Sinclair Research, uh, Sinclair was one of the computer manufacturers, they made the ZX line. Sinclair Research was a subsidiary of the, the bigger company. They paid a rumored... 100,000 pounds for the rights to Bandersnatch and its concept specifically. And they contracted a new company that was set up by just Hetherington and Lawson named Fire Iron, to produce the new game for a new computer they were trying to create called the Sinclair QL. Now the QA- QL came out, but the QL version of Bandersnatch never did. It never even got off the ground. I couldn't find anything that it got off the ground. And so Sinclair withdrew the funding. So instead, Lawson and Hetherington begin to work on another game. And this one's called Bratacus. I think it's called Bradicus. I'm probably butchering it. I should have, I should have, not in hindsight, I should have looked it up. But we're going, we're going to go with bradacus Does that sound right? Sure.
1: I don't know, Dave. I like Bratakas.
0: Bratakas? I like Bratakas, too. Looks better. Sounds better. Let's go with Bratakas. i pretty sure that's what I had when I was mouthing it out yesterday, and that sounds right. Mine doesn't sound right. So anyways, it was a science fiction action-adventure game in which you played as a genetic engineer who refused to create super soldiers for his government, and afterwards he gets framed by the government for treason.
1: Well, that's just what you get. You should have listened to your government.
0: I know. Now, the game consists of you finding evidence to clear your name, and you bring the deeds of the oppressive government to light. Now, the control system for Bratacus, right? Bratacus, I like it. The control system is an early example of gesture based uh, uh, of a gesture-based control interface. The mouse is moved in the direction that you want the player to walk, and the speed of the motion of the mouse controls how fast the character moves. So basically, if you want him to run, you basically, like, jerk, like, flick your mouse in a general direction, but if you want him to go slow, you move your mouse slowly in that direction.
1: Hmm. Most neat. P- It's different, right? Did I, was that a common thing? I feel like I don't know of many games. No. I, actually, I can't think of any games that do that. It was not common at all. Um, hmm.
0: most people praise the game for its story, graphics, and some, you know, other features found in it, but that control system was universally disliked. Oh, so the game received very mixed reviews. Now, this game was probably always going to receive mixed reviews. The truth is that no matter how good this game was, it was probably never going to live up expectations because... Gamers, critics, so on and so forth, had all been waiting quite some time for it. Brataka's was basically designed off of every single concept that Imagine Software had toted for its mega game, Bandersnatch.
1: So. Mm. I see, I see. Now,
0: yes, as a side note, Bandersnatch. Uh, black mirror episode black mirror interactive episode actually right bandersnatch yes. yep it, and that episode starts out with the guy and a defunct software company right i don't uh, know if you yeah it. yeah it, huh. it, it, ob- it obviously was inspired by by this so
1: um, no it, shit that's kind of funny
0: I mean, it doesn't really follow it beyond that, but like, I, like I mean, it's still
1: inspired by is still. You know, how many things have we talked about that have had inspiration by yeah. something else? You know, I mean, yeah. that's still well, it, it's always cool to see little nods like that.
0: Yeah. So so, yeah, so the and imagine software was a big deal for a, a year like they were the software manufacturer. Everyone knew them, but it was like a flash in the pan. They they burned up as as quickly as they became popular you know so um so no doubt i mean that's where this all comes from at least that's where the 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 software company going down and the name bandersnatch that's where it's it comes from so so as this group of developers uh manages to finally create their game bandersnatch aka ratakis they did so while forming yet another company because apparently they can't figure that out now this one would actually become the successor of Imagine Software and survive all the chaos and live on for quite some years. And that company's name is Cygnosis. Do you remember Cygnosis at all?
1: Uh, That does not sound familiar to me. Have we talked about this before in an episode? We
0: we haven't, but I... I, They were... We'll talk about it, but they were a very big PlayStation uh, publishing house. And... um, I mean I'm gonna cover it. I, I played a lot of their games. I was a. I, I some of my favorite PlayStation games are Cygnosis developed, so
1: Yeah I'm gonna say that does not sound the slightest bit familiar to me.
0: So after it got its start in late 1984, Cygnosis quickly became known for having incredible graphics. That became the thing that it hung its hat on. Now this was because they employed artists full-time at their headquarters. And they offered the services of those artists to their third-party developers. Now, they're a publishing house, first and foremost, not a developer in themselves. So they basically hired artists, and all the companies, the guys that they decided to publish their titles, they would say, hey, we have this excellent, these excellent artists at our headquarters. Would you like, like to use them on your game? Now, remember at this time, a lot of PC game programmers were really just single programmers not all of them were artists they just kind of made it work because the expectations there weren't any expectations you know Mm -hmm. um so in doing so they basically published games and developed them you know through assisting other companies with games that were basically high graphical standards that's what they became known for Also, while most companies at the time were developing games at the same time for both the Atari ST and the Amiga, Psygnosis made the decision to focus on the Amiga, which was a technically superior system, and then later kind of watered down the games and port them over to the Atari. Because Do you understand the difference between the two? No. So if you're making a game for the Atari and the Amiga at the same time, you can never exceed the capabilities of the Atari, right? Oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Okay, that's that's the point. Like, when you're doing them both at the same time, you can never make the game look better or play better than the Atari is capable of. And while you know, and because the Amiga was a better system, there really wasn't a company that was focusing on taking advantage of what made it better uh, before this point. But that's what Psygnosis decided to do. And that allowed them to produce really stunning games that wouldn't have been remotely possible on the Atari hardware if they had continued to develop both both versions at the same time. Now, one of these games and one of their early successes was a 1989 platform game called Shadow of the Beast. Now, Shadow of the Beast is well known at the time and now for its graphics. Um, it is, included more colors on the screen than pretty much any other game had at the time. It was one of the first games to feature 128 colors on its screen. And it had a particularly advanced level of parallax scrolling backdrops. We kind of talked about parallax scrolling in an earlier episode. It's where two layers of the background move at different speeds to give the illusion that, that the backgrounds are moving. Um, If I remember correctly, this game had 12 levels uh, 12 different ways in which the background moved to create that 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 uh, illusion, which was just unheard of at the time. Now, Shadow of the Beast really put Psygnosis on the map for many people, but what would come shortly after Shadow of the Beast would arguably be Signosis's most successful game, and it would make them a household name for many gamers. Now, while Psygnosis was enjoying the success of Shadow of the Beast in 1989, the development team back at DMA Design was beginning the development of a new game called Walker. You know, they had just hired a freelance artist. His name was Scott Johnson. He was jokingly, uh, according to the story, uh, two weeks uh, fresh off of a two-week stint behind the counter at McDonald's. And they hired him off the street and they assigned him the task of creating the graphics for this game called Walker okay walker was um walker was like a a a mechanoid you know like a a mech walker type game and they had been doing an earlier game called blood money that had the walkers in them and they were so popular with the with the, the 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 crew and everything that um that they they took that walker that mechanoid and decided they wanted to make it make it into its own game that's what that's what's happening here So Scott Johnson gets asked to draw little men for the walker to shoot at, initially in a 16 by 16 pixel box. However, one of the founders of DMA Design that we've talked about in the past, Mike Daly, maintained that it could be done for less in an 8x8 pixel box. So trying to prove him wrong, Mike steals someone else's computer and in about an hour manages to create a little walking man made in 8x8 pixels. So as a demonstration, he then creates an animation of a 10-ton weight crushing them. Uh, He creates an animation of a gun obliterating them as they walked past. So they're just making these little 8x8 men and having fun, basically destroying them in weird ways. So another programmer notices, Gary Timmons, and he joins in the fun. He adds a mouth, like a clown mouth, that gobbles them up as they walk by. There are a pair of clapping hands to smash them, and then at one point they're walking along a, a platform that springs them up off, off the screen like Smash Brothers style. And as part of his design, Gary also tweaks the ever the, the walking man. Just just a whole just a very little bit. But basically over the course of an hour, maybe a little bit more the whole team is getting involved and they're all having these, they made this little man animation and all these ways to destroy these little men. And they're just having a ball with it. So another team member that wasn't involved, Russell K, he looks at it and he basically says, Hey guys, I think that we have a game here, but as a team, they really, they, they weren't there yet. They were still working on other projects. One of those projects was the game that Walker was inspired by. It was called Blood Money. Blood Money was a side-scrolling shooter. The Walker was one of the, the, the ground um, units that would shoot you know, at the ship as it went by. As part of Blood Money, two of its programmers, uh, Russell here and Dave Jones, they were having a discussion about weapons in the game. And Dave wanted to add a what's called a salamander-type missile. It's basically a missile that follows the landscape, but he didn't know how to program it. Russell K on the other hand did know how to program it. He figured out how to program it, implemented the behavior, but instead of doing so initially with the missile, he used those little men, that animation to demonstrate how you could program the sprites to follow the landscape. So now we have, an animation of little men that are basically following the path put in front of them. Now, Mike Daly wanted to create a demo using this initial animation, the following men, the clown mouth, the shooting, the 10 ton weight. He basically wanted to create up a little demo because he also thought that a game was there too. So he sat down to look at it again. Uh, He changed the hair color in the initial animation, which you can find online I will link the story of Lemmings, um, which is the game we're talking about in the show notes at www.memorycardlane.com. You can see the original animation, in the original animation, a little man had blue hair. Mike changed it to its iconic green color because it simply looked nicer. The green screen stood out. And in doing so, he basically invented the lemming as we know it today in the games. First and foremost, in through the, the lemmings games today right right he got as far as programming a single lemming walking over landscape before he was pulled and placed on another project <laughs> but one of the other partners dave jones the guy who wanted the salamander missiles in the first place he was wrapping up another project they actually created the action replay and after making the action replay they needed to figure out what's next and to his credit uh, jokingly says it's one of the best decisions he ever made in his entire life uh, he decided that this project uh, was going to be his next his next thing so he started working on it and as all the other members finished up the projects they kept gravitating back to this initial animation that they were all having so much fun over Till the entire team came together to make this game backgrounds were drawn animations were made They built a level editor about the computer. You know, it it was uh, it resembled paint. Basically, it was identical to the interface on paint, which everyone in the office knew. This meant that pretty much everyone could create levels, uh, even if they weren't programmers. They later said that creating the levels for the game was the most fun they had in a long time. They were constantly trying to one up one another with complicated level designs it actually turned them into experts at the game by the end of development. And one of them went as far to say that it was pretty much impossible to stump any of them by the end of development.
1: Hmm. Wow.
0: Looking back, it's pretty easy. They noted to recognize who made which levels. So Gary Timmons, one of the developers, he created most of the minimal levels. He very few blocks, very few hints. That was his thing. Mike Daly's levels usually usually contained a clue to its solution in the title. Like, want to be a hero meant that, you know, one lemming had to do something outstanding. Scott Johnson's levels were tightly packed. Tons of things to do. Lots of blocks. Lots of solutions. Um, so, yeah. So, they all had this artistic style. And they came together to create a lot of levels. A lot. A lot. A lot. I think at the end of everything... This game has 120 levels. And once they had finished making all of these levels, all the we want to beat each other, one up one another, they realized that there were no easy levels to ease players into the game. So they had to go back and do just that. They created a learning curve, a bunch of trainer and tutorial levels, easy levels that made Lemmings a very accessible game to people. In fact, I, I think I think that like kids as young as six or seven could could get could get into this game. And the music initially, the music was created by sampling bits of copyrighted music uh, that was very common practice at the time. But this was about the time that people were starting to become very aware of music copyright, and just to prevent any problems, the team was asked to change the music. So another team member named Tim Wright. He rearranged and reworked classical and traditional music. Um, If you ever listen or uh, like watch a playthrough or play the game, you'll hear bits and pieces of a lot of really recognizable music. Uh, The songs they remixed are reused or took snippets of include London Bridge is Falling Down, She'll Be Coming Around the Mountain, How Much Is That Doggy in the Window, Here Comes the Bride, Dance of the Little Swans, and, um... A piece of Chopin's Sonata Number Two, which we now know is the Funeral Who? March, Chop Chopin, Chopin, Chopin. I said Chopin, didn't I?
1: You said Chopin. I'm
0: gonna leave that in Chopin, Chopin. Yes, Chopin. So, uh, the Funeral March, the song that we now use as a funeral march. Oh, and the Voice of the Lemmings is actually the mother of Scott Johnson. So, it's a team effort.
1: Wow. Go, Mama.
0: Go, Mama. So the team puts all these pieces together, and they release the lemmings to the world on Valentine's Day 1991.
1: Well, shit.
0: Before moving on, though, let's talk about lemmings. Why lemmings, Rob?
1: Um, I, I don't know why they chose lemmings. Do you know what lemmings are? They're little small rodents that are found in the Arctic. They are cute little things.
0: So, unfortunately, there's really not much. I mean, the team's written extensively about this game, but there's not much about the name. Um, we know that it, the term "Lubbings" was coined by Russell Kay, who was the one that originally said, by, by God, I think we have a game here. And really, there's no one's ever come out directly to say why they chose the name, but there's actually, I believe, a historical basis from which the name came. So, you're right, lemmings are small rodents, for those of you that don't know, that live in the Arctic tundra. They're very small, five to seven inches in length, a couple ounces in weight. They're tiny little, I mean, they kind of look like hamsters, in a way, that feed on moss and grass that are found in the tundra. And unlike unlike a lot of other animals that live in the Arctic, lemmings, they don't hibernate through harsh winters. Instead, They participate in mass migrations. They migrate to less harsh climates, and then they return afterwards. So in 1958, Walt Disney Productions published a nature documentary film called White Wilderness. In it, there's a scene which depicts a mass lemming migration, and that scene ends with lemmings leaping into the Arctic Ocean. The narrator of the film states that the lemmings are not likely committing suicide, but rather are in the course of migrating and upon encountering a body of water are attempting to cross it. And if the body of water the lemmings encounter is too wide, they can suffer exhaustion and drown as a result. Now, the misconception that lemmings are suicidal goes back a lot farther than this. In fact, there's there's text from the 1500s in which this is written about it's not true lemmings are not suicidal um it is a misconception but the modern idea that lemmings are suicidal is largely believed to be because of this documentary it's not deliberate mass suicide deliberate mass suicide is which an animal voluntarily chooses to die rather these lemmings real lemmings jump off clips as a consequence of their migratory behavior. So little side note to that in the 1980s, a CBC television crew did a documentary on animal cruelty in film, and they focused on Disney's white wilderness documentary. And they found that the lemming scenes in the documentary weren't actually filmed in the Arctic. And the, Ar- the, the lemmings were not jumping into the Arctic Ocean. It was filmed in Alberta, Canada, and the lemmings were actually jumping into a river there called the Bow River. In fact, in the course of their research, the documentary team came to the conclusion that lemmings were actually transported to that location, jostled on turntables, and then thrown off the cliff. And then the footage was all edited after the fact to reflect otherwise. Wow. So despite the fact that we don't actually know where the name, why they gave the name Lemmings, it's it's pretty hard not to see the correlation between the common misconception that Lemmings are suicidal and jump off cliffs because that's kind of a, a fundamental part of this game, like that they follow, follow leader, including jumping off cliffs, right? Right. It's probably, there's probably a good chance that at least one person on that team saw the documentary, or heard about Lemmings being, you know, follow the leaders in mass suicide in some way or some, you know, some form. We don't know, but they heard it. They named the game Lemmings, and here we have it on Valentine's Day 1991. Lemmings isn't exactly a thing anymore. They haven't published a Lemmings game in a little bit of time, so let's talk about it, Rob.
1: Okay, let's talk about it, Dave
0: lemmings is a 1991 puzzle strategy game it was originally released for the amiga and it was later ported to just about everywhere that's not even an exaggeration it has been on a ton of systems in each level you have to guide a group of anthrop- anthropomorphized lemmings so basically lemmings that are made to look like people through a number of obstacles to the exit so in each level You have to rescue a specified number of lemmings lemmings in each level to win. And to get over obstacles, you could assign a lemming one of eight different skills. So climbers could climb vertically if there was just a rock, like a straight rock or cliff in front of them. Um, But if they hit anything on the way up, they would fall down. Floaters could use parachutes to float from great heights. Bombers explode after a five second timer. Blockers would stand in place and prevent lemmings from passing. Basically, if a lemming hit a blocker, they would turn around and go back the other way. Um, Builders would build stairways of about a dozen steps. And then there are also bashers, miners, and diggers that would bash blocks, dig down, or mine a certain way. So there was all these ways to get from point A to point B if a lemming did something that was like they were stuck or like a bomb, basically like the, the, one of the funniest parts of the game was that lemmings would blow up. Like the bombers would blow up. You also had a nuke option. You could hit the nuke button and it would turn all lemmings on the screen into bombers. Now people frequently use this to end the level quickly. Once you've saved the required number of lemmings, you don't need to keep playing. So you would hit the bomber, you'd hit the nuke button and every every lemming would turn into a bomber and they would all blow up at once. I was a kid in 1991. It was just so much fun to blow everything up, to be honest with you. And it was kind of hilarious. Still
1: is, in my opinion.
0: Very true. I just love the chaos of everything as it exploded. It was a lot of fun. Um, And that's it. There were a a lot of levels, 120 levels. Uh, Most could be solved in more than one way. And it was just a lot of fun. I I do remember Lemmings. I really enjoyed puzzle games. I still enjoy puzzle games, but this was a lot of fun back then. And what sticks out the most though is the music. You don't play a lot of video games that have like, how much is that doggy in the window? You know. It was just a. It was just a lot of fun, and like I said, there were different ways to solve it. So you know you could. You could just use the different things in different ways. Put a blocker here so everyone turns the other ways and falls down a cliff. Or, you know, maybe they dig straight down um, or blow up. You know, you could, instead of going up and over a rock with climbers, you could blow up the middle of the rock and walk right through it. Um, There was just, uh, it was just one of those games that, it was just one of those games that was a lot of fun to, to figure out and like I said there was a lot a lot a lot to it a lot a lot a lot to it so yeah you know that's that's pretty much it 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 was a fun game it was a lot of fun game you know and and um people liked it that I remember Rob I I know you tried to look up reviews right
1: I did um majority of the reviews that I did find were for the remake apparently that got made for the PlayStation? Yeah,
0: they made a couple modern ones.
1: Somehow that just completely skipped past me, but uh, you know, it it seemed that people thought it was cute to some degree, uh, but there there were not a whole lot of stuff out there.
0: Yeah, it's 1991. We know about games in this early period. It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to find people that don't like look at this old stuff through you know, you're either really nostalgic about it or you're really critical of it because of what it is. So
1: absolutely. And that's, that's kind of why it is, you know, but the few things that I was able to find, it seemed like people enjoyed, thought it was a fun concept. And this is again, everyone thought, Hey, you know, lemmings, they, they just try to, to die because they're dumb, but they're, they're cute little dumb rodents.
0: I, you know, I didn't find any like substantial, like hefty reviews, but the few I looked at, everyone was like, It was a lot of fun, but there was just too much of it. Like 120 levels is a lot of game and people just kind of lost their win with it somewhere in the middle of 120 levels. Well, Lemmings was the game that put both Psygnosis and DMA Design on the map. This was easily their most successful game up until that point. Like I said, if you want to learn about DMA design and what they did, uh, you know, leading up to and through this, um, with the exception of this story, which we did not tell in the episode, go check out our website at www.memorycardlane.com. It was episode 112. Basically, they used the success of Lemmings to springboard the studio into the creation of the first Grand Theft Auto game, which looks Nothing like its original game design document. That's such a fascinating story about how they got from point A to point B. That story is pretty much what that episode is, aside from their history. Um, and, of course, we know that Grand Theft Auto is still an ongoing series. So, DMA design actually still exists, except now it's called Rockstar North. They they, they got bought by Rockstar, changed into Rockstar North Studio. Um, but they're still popping over their... Uh, contributing to the grand theft auto franchise so if you want to learn the history of the guys who made the lemmings specifically go check out episode 112 but here we have the guys that published the lemmings psygnosis was actually bought out by sony electronic publishing in 1993 for about 20 million pounds and as part of sony like i said they made a lot of great games so one of my favorites is the Psygnosis was the company that made the Destruction Derby series. Do you remember any of those games?
1: If it's the one I'm thinking of, I do. Yeah, possibly. I remember there was a lot of Destruction Derby type games that we played when we were young. So <laughs> I mean, the, the, the Destruction Derby series were the first of
0: those. They were just like some of the earliest games that had real car damage and like you could you could actually have a destruction derby in a bowl, but you also had like figure eight racetracks and stuff like that that you would race around and it had real car damage. So like if you, you know, smashed in your radiator too much, your car wouldn't run anymore because without a radiator it overheats and dies. So like there was strategy to it because you could you could hit with your rear end instead and keep and, and protect what's important, you know. Um There were a couple Destruction Derby games. I loved all of them because I was into wrecking things and they appeal to 10 year old me. Love, love, love Destruction Derbies. They also made another racing game, a futuristic one that had some notoriety called Wipeout. Wipeout is actually a series. Big fan of them. Played a lot of the early Wipeout, a lot of the early Wipeout games. They were the company that made the first bunch of Formula One games on the PlayStation. They made G-Police. They made the Colony War series. Um, they just made... They, they either developed or published a whole bunch of early PS1 games that were a lot of fun. In 1999, Sony decided to drop the Psygnosis name. The staff at Psygnosis was integrated into other teams or they were left here where the studio was turned into studio Liverpool, which was largely made up of Cygnosis staff. Um, They continued to make games like the formula one series and a few others up until uh, 2012. Sony ended up closing studio Liverpool in 2012. And the story of Cygnosis really ends there. Um, DMA obviously went on to bigger and better things with, the Grand Theft Auto series, but Psygnosis made a lot of good games, but they never really found the success again that they found with Lemmings, and eventually they just kept getting swallowed up by other studios until they just failed to exist here in 2012. Now, the game itself, Lemmings, it holds some importance to some video game historians, critics, so on and so forth. Lemmings is the predecessor of the modern real-time strategy genre. In fact, the developer of the first Warcraft game uh, had said that Warcraft had taken inspiration from both a game called Lost Vikings and The Lemmings, and Warcraft was the result of them combining their favorite elements of both games. It is actually the first major video game to introduce the concept of indirect control which is where you click and then the units go where you you tell them to go and that is commonplace in i mean i have written real-time strategy but now thinking about it that's a pretty major concept in a lot of genres right
1: yeah i would say so
0: yeah 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 it wasn't a thing before lemmings lemmings was the first game that ever kind of did that for you so it, it i mean it's important for that reason it's the first place that a lot of future gamers and future game developers saw that that type of control scheme was possible and how it could work and it inspired them to create that themselves. You know, one day we'll talk about the beginning of the Warcraft series. Cause I was a, a huge fan of Warcraft before it was an MMO. Um, I didn't play a lot of WoW, but I played a lot of the first three Warcraft games and, and we'll do that someday. But um, that's, that's the precursor to real-time strategy. Now Rob, we have covered our share of real-time strategy games haven't we uh
1: I would say we've covered a couple here or there you know one maybe one or two or uh, you know several
0: command and conquer
1: yeah you know C-
0: civilization yeah that's, that's just, not real-time strategy
1: I mean eh, tomato tomato yeah. for x real-time strategy I mean yeah it can so we, be considered it
0: they're all strategy
1: games at the very least.
0: So we've covered a lot of real-time strategy games. We've covered a lot of the strategy genre. There's a lot of really great information on strategy games if you want to learn the history of a bunch of them. We've got all those old episodes on our website at www.memorycardlane.com. Rob, what else can people find on our website?
1: Well, Dave, there they can find a calendar of upcoming episodes and leave little tidbits for us. And, you know, maybe tell us some things, some personal little quips about what's going on there. You can also find, uh, you know, some pictures of Dave and I with some blurbage about Dave and maybe not Rob. We'll maybe figure that out someday. Uh, And, you know, I think they can also find links to Discord and social media.
0: They can. What, um, I am on various platforms, as David is wrong, and where can people find you?
1: I am on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. Yes,
0: indeed. Well, each week, ladies and gentlemen, we try to tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. But doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic what it took from the game as what it took from the world rather as its inspiration or what it gave back to the world as its legacy today. That story was about lemmings and the company that published it Psygnosis. One of the best parts about doing this podcast week in and week out is that we learn as well. When you teach, you learn, never forget that. Any teacher will tell you that as part of our commitment to the process, we like to go round table and talk about our biggest takeaways. So, Rob, what did you learn today?
1: Well, uh, I guess it would have to be that there was no real reason for the lemmings, and that the whole you know suicide thing about them is wrong. True. Um, it's you know, changing my whole viewpoint on life. Uh, we okay. had this this whole life just being told, "Hey, lemmings, suicidal." And like, they're not, it was just no. a misconception caused by a little documentary. But other than that, I think it's hilarious that, uh, they just had unpaid bills and they were still able to get everything. Uh, the studio was still able to make it happen. Um, I mean, you know, advertisements in a magazine, they run them before they get paid. Then what do you do? You still have the advertisements. They still got to run the magazine. Cause otherwise they're going to lose out. Um, it's shady. Like, I'm not saying people did it on purpose, but like, when you think about it, it's kind of, it works. It worked then. I'm sure mo- majority of the uh, time after that, they said you pay up front. Uh, we're not doing that.
0: Well, things changed. I think it's funny. I, a, I'll, I'll just spit it out. I think my big thing is I didn't know this was the first indirect control video game. That's such a common scheme control scheme nowadays. It's fascinating to me to know where things come from, and I had no clue that that came from Lemmings. But what I really liked about this was that same time period you were just talking about where Imagine Software was going defunct, and the guys who started Imagine Software spun up a different company called, what, uh, something Finch trying to buy the assets, and that didn't work, so they contracted work on the same game through Sinclair Research and a company called Fire Iron and that didn't work. So finally they just make a completely different game, but it's actually the same game and they create yet another company while they're doing that. It's like, guys, I mean, like, you failed the first time with Imagine, the second time with, I don't know, something Finch, the third time with Fire Iron, so I guess fourth time's the charm with Bratakis, you know, and Cygnosis.
1: They made it work, though.
0: They did. It was a really long like I I don't I just can't understand in hindsight how people kept giving the same guys a chance. You know what I mean? Like these companies they're creating are failing. And so and they're trying to create new companies and buy the assets. Like what, why, how was this allowed to happen? You know what I mean? Like, oh hey, we're not Imagine Software anymore. We're this company. Wink, wink, and we're here to buy this stuff back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it just seemed really weird to me, and hey, whatever. In the end, they got to make their game. Um, even if it wasn't Bandersnatch anymore, it was it was, it was essentially Bandersnatch in a different name, you know? Absolutely. All right. Well, that'll do it for Lemmings. We learned all about Lemmings and real Lemmings. But before I take it out of here, Rob, what would you like to add to today's episode?
1: Well, Dave, the only thing I have is, as always, I want to say thank you to every one of our listeners. It means the world to us, and we hope that you enjoy learning crazy, life-altering facts with Dave and Rob. That's
0: right. Change your perception on.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it, Dave. Back to you.
0: Okay, cool. Next week, we're all going to learn about the history of Star Fox, originally released for the Super Nintendo in February of 1993. As part of its story, we'll finally learn all about the creation of Nintendo's Super FX chip that powered its iconic polygon art style. We've been talking about that for a while, Rob. Mm,
1: Yes, we have.
0: So stick around and join us again next week as we do a barrel roll on yet another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing.
1: Scooby doo, ba ba ba, doo ba ba ba, doo doo.